Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. You have wanted this, we give it to you. Not once, not twice, but three times a year. From the Colts Radio Network, the former NFL coach, and all you need to know, we never really know how long we're going to go. It is to be determined with Rick Venturi, who joins us now. Hello, my friend. How are you? Hey, how you doing? Good friend. I'm doing okay. I see you're killing it in Hamilton County. It seems like every time I'm on with you, you're killing it in Hamilton County. I, I'm doing okay. I, you know, I think it's it's interesting. You know, I, you know, basically I'm struggling. You know, at some point, at some day, you know, I will reflect on the year and I will be very happy with the improvement. You know, I'll be happy. I, I think looking forward. But I'm just not there yet, as Tom Cruise said at Maverick. Not yet today, yes. that's for sure. Um, and so, you know, that's been a little tough, been a hard, hard pill to take on Saturday. And then yeah. the last 24 hours, I mean, Pete Carroll and then my two associates, Bill Belichick and uh, Nick Saban, it's been really surreal, John. It's not, not, that, not that you don't expect those things can happen or expect them to happen, but when they do happen and, and they're – good friends and associates of yours. It's, uh, it's uh, surreal. Before we get into this Colts conversation with Ballard and Richardson meeting with the media earlier today and the reflection on this past season, some thoughts on uh, you know, those at the top level all-time of coaches, too, that you have been directly involved with and you call friends certainly right now but involved with in the past, a reflection on their careers and, and what they both meant to you. Well, you know, the the greatest coaching year of my life was 1994 for so many reasons. And um, I, I guess the best way I can put it is I sat in between uh, Bill and in between Nick for 18 Tuesday nights in game plans and getting ready. Um, you know, I lived with them 24 hours a day uh, for one year. Uh, this was, I always call it uh, B.I. This was before they were icons, and we all had input. We all put it together. It ended up being Bill's first winning season. We ended up being 12-6 and six with, a, with a wild card win, and then we lost in the division round. Uh, but I was with those guys. I, I recognized their their greatness uh, when no one else did. I was a little bit older when I was brought in there. Um, you know, it, it's two different situations. You know, Bill, uh, I feel differently about Bill because I think this is just temporary. I mean, he's going to be the head coach of the Redskins or the Chargers or somebody because he's going to chase the uh, he's going to chase the Shula record. So it's it's surprising in that it's you know 24 years, you know several years of greatness, but you kind of saw it coming. Nick is different. Nick is, uh, you know, Nick's the best there ever was. Certainly the best there ever was in college statistically. Uh, he and I have actually bonded uh, over the years. Um, I'm very close. I reached out to him last night a little bit. And we we conversed, but uh, he's just, you know, he just to me 
he stood for everything that's good in college football. Not just the winning, but the way he did it, the classiness of his program. Really not a lot of skeletons. His kids graduate. I just think he's gone where nobody else has gone. And, and again, I, I, you know, both of them, though, I will say this together, that, that 94 season and being with those two guys have really shaped my view of football you know, not only for the rest of my coaching career, but really as we speak today, they still have a tremendous impact on how I view the game. So, you know, it's it's sad only in the standpoint from Nick's standpoint is that I doubt that we'll see him on the field again. But I, I think there could be a great role for him with this chaotic as – the uh, college football is today. It's just total chaos with the, you know, with the NIL and the, you know, and the, in the, uh, all that other stuff, the, the transfer portal. And, you know, I see big changes, you know, and I, and, you know, I think at some point they're going to need kind of a czar of college football. And I, I think he would be that guy, honestly. Yeah. And, and those are the types of changes that we don't often think about is to get somebody uh, that has won, you know, six titles, somebody that, you know, will go down in in the history books in college football as the greatest of all time to help implement the direction and the future of, you know, a product right now that is like a sprinkler. It's it's really kind of squirting in all directions. Yeah, and the thing about it is, is I think, I think it's inevitable whether we like it or not. I, I think there'll be a breakaway, um, you know, with the top maybe 64, kind of the Chip Kelly. He threw that out. He, you know, he threw that bomb out a couple of weeks ago, and I think there's, you know, I think there's a lot to it that at some point uh, you're going to have, you know, a 64 team division that really is not in the Pac-10, Big Ten, or anything else. It's going to be, you know, regional, you know, with playoffs and and probably revenue sharing. That'll be tough to get to, but eventually they probably will. So you're going to need somebody, you know, at some point to orchestrate all that who has – you know, not only winning credibility, but ran a really class program that wasn't wasn't abandoned at any time, and and those kind of things. And you know, that's I think my man could do that. So Rick Venturi, the Colts Radio Network, with a postseason reflection and then some. We'll get to the season in a second, but I'm sure you listened to both Anthony Richardson and Chris Ballard a little bit earlier. Anything stand out to you with uh, either one of these press conferences that we heard? Well, no, I, I, you know, I think they played their roles well. You know, I, I think Anthony is, you know, refreshed. Um, I think he got enough action um, and he had enough success. It was a snapshot of what he can be. Uh, but I think he is very, very optimistic and very, very confident. I felt that. Um, I felt that very much there. Uh, I also feel like that he knows that he has to not change his style but he's got to alter it to some degree, and we can get into that as we as we get talking here today. I think there's some things that he knows that he's going to have to alter as we go. You know, and then I thought Chris was, you know, certainly uh, much more upbeat than he was a year ago. Um, I think he's, you know, I think he's happy with the progress. But I also think that he realizes that, you know, 40, what was it, 44% of the NFL made the playoffs, and we're not one of them. So, you know, right. this is yep. no time, you know, and, I, and I, I'll get some feedback. And I think it's important for me to say to the fans that, 
two things can be true at one time, and I'll get pushed back because I speak truth to power at all times. Is And I think two things can be true. You can be very optimistic about the Colts' future, you know, which I am. Go out and buy season tickets. You're going to enjoy it. But at the same time, as an analyst, I can tell it like it is. I can say, okay, we won because of this, and we won in spite of this. And what I think is really important is that the Colts don't gloat on this. They don't gloat on the sunshine of improvement at this moment. They can be be pleased with it to some degree. But, I mean, you lost the game that mattered, the one game that mattered in the whole season when it was on the line. And basically Houston out, outplayed us in the fourth quarter and did things that we've got to do something about because in some ways that game, in a way, is a microchasm that exposed a lot of the issues that we have as a team that have to be fixed. And one thing I will say, and I mean this because I've, I've gone through it twice. I've gone through it two really times in my life. Um, uh, I went through it here in the 92 season to 93 and I went through it in Cleveland with the 94 season to 95 seasons where we had turnarounds. Uh, we were looked like the next step would be, you know, deep in the playoffs, Super Bowl, and, and then we and then we rolled backwards. So, you know, the point I'm making is there is no uh, guaranteed. A linear arrow that says, you know, that you go from 9 to 12 or from, you know, 9 to 14. It just isn't that way. Every season, you know, uh, is totally different. A whole set of circumstances that are different. Uh, next year, the challenge will be tougher. You're not going to see 18 backup quarterbacks in the league. So, you know, I thought that he was, you know, fairly realistic, and uh, I thought there was an optimism, but, you know, fairly realistic in, 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 in where we were. I thought it was, you know, tempered to some degree, and, uh, you know, it should be. So Rick Venturi, who joins us, and, and we'll take breaks probably a couple of different times, and I'm going to – I want to hold you over, honestly, until you get all your thoughts out, and I know there are many right here. Um, I, I want to start with, with this. You mentioned Anthony Richardson. Yep. And Anthony Richardson, I, Chris said in his that he's not reckless. And I, I, think, I think it just comes with the territory of being that athletically gifted and, and, and you know, why you're drafted and, you know, how they yep. try to use you. I just think naturally there comes with a bit of recklessness with Anthony Richardson, much like that there was with Andrew Luck. I think also that's a lot about play calling and the situations that Shane Steichen puts you into, much like we thought the way that Shane Steichen put Gardner Minshew into situations for success. And it might be a couple of different times, a handful of times for failure. How should that be handled? And do you agree? Is it just kind of a natural evolution of somebody to be that young, that gifted, to be a bit, little bit reckless with that incredible athleticism they possess? I, I think there's. I, I think you're, you have a very fair point there. And then I think it's a stylistic matter as well. You know, I'll stand by this. I, I said this when he was playing before he went down. Uh, I think the kid has it all. You know, I was there every day in training camp. Uh, there's no question about his tools. I mean, Miss Sherry can go down to the combine, watch him, and realize what the tools are. Um, he came with much more refined quarterback skills uh, than I anticipated. You know, he has a really high football IQ. Uh, he has the emotional makeup. 
Uh, he has he's a workaholic, as you know, and he's very highly respected immediately by his teammates, even though he was, you know, what would be an entitled fourth, you know, fourth pick in the draft. So all those things are there. Um, I think the two caveats and, and I will cover the actual question you're asking me, but the two caveats that I think one is short term, one is long term. I think the first thing on the short term, I think the fans have to understand, and I think this is where, I think this is where Ballard said, "Don't crown him" or something like this, and I, I think that was smart to do, and I don't think he was in any way saying this kid doesn't have it, but there is going to be a growth period next year. I mean, he missed the majority of this year that would have cleared him of that. You know, he played I don't know how many quarters, but you know, you would have loved to have seen him get the whole season under his belt to grow. So, you know, there are going to be things, there are going to be days uh, that aren't, you know, that aren't pretty, uh, you know, next year. And there's going to be bumps in the road. And so, you know, I think the expectancy in that sense has to be a bit tempered. I, that's, I thought that, I thought that uh, actually Chris did a good job on that. And then I think the most important thing long term is how do we find the balance of his great athleticism and his ability to run design quarterback runs, uh, obviously uh, scrambles, extensions, but more the designers, to be honest with you, how can we balance that with his long-term health? That is really my own con- my only concern. I, I, never, I never thought of it as much. Um, I've watched it come, you know, the emerging of the NCAA game on Sundays. Uh, you know, you, you've seen it with Lamar. Uh, you know, you see it with Allen. You see it with Hertz. Um, you know, guys that come in and, you know, you drafted, you know, you drafted him fourth, not just to be a drop back quarterback. You know, that's, you know, you, you know, that's there. That's part of it. But you really drafted him because of his ability to be kind of half a tailback and three-quarters quarterback and be able to give you weapons that a normal guy doesn't give you. You know, and as a, as a former defensive coordinator, it's, those guys are a monster to defend. But I think with him, when I look at his style, you look at his style, he is not like Lamar. Lamar plays the quarterback position from the running game standpoint like a point guard. And by that I mean he is really elusive. He very seldom takes a big hit, you know, and as the years have gone by, he's learned how to get out of harm's way. I would say that Anthony stylistically is closer kind of in between a Josh Allen and a Hurts. Um, I think he runs the ball when he runs it, whether it's designed or, you know, whether it's an extension type play, he runs almost like a fullback, you know, or a real strong tailback. He is not a guy that tries to be elusive. I mean, he'll try to run over you like Allen does sometimes, you know. And and I think, you know, when you when you look at what Philadelphia has done with Hurts, who he's very close to, um, they've done a really good job of getting Hurts to understand how to play within the parameters of a quarterback running game. That is – you know, start to think first down and get down rather than touchdown and get down. 
if it's first down, you know, and you can get positive yardage, which is anything more than four, you know, it's get down. You know, if you get in tight in the red zone, you know, then it's then it's a possibility where you got to take it on in. But I think, you know, there's a lot of things that you learn. You learn how to take it down, take it to the out-of-bounds marker. You don't have to score a touchdown every play. Um, you know, I, I think those things, even sometimes how to fall, you know, how to fall and protect your arms and shoulders. Um, and then I think from a, a strategic standpoint, you know, it's so difficult because when you have a guy like this, he's such a great weapon. He adds, you know, you've heard me say it many times, John, he adds like a 12th man to your offense. He's a guy that you defend now that 10 years ago we didn't even account for uh, as a defensive coordinator. But I think what's important now is that you structure the offense where you don't you don't really change his style. You don't really change what you brought him in here for, but you use it a little bit more intelligently. You know, it may not be something that you run first and ten in the middle of the first quarter, but in the fourth quarter or some key third and four in the course of the game, then you're going to run it. So, you know, I think it's a little bit you've kind of you kind of alluded to it. It's a little bit of learning experience from him. It's a, I would call it an adaptation rather than a change in style, and then a yep. little bit more selectiveness in how you actually use him at game time. And I want to go ahead and put these two pressers to bed today. Anything else? And I want to make sure we get to the defensive side of the football and the direction they're going after five. That's going to give you more time. But anything else outside of that stand out to you regarding what Chris had to say? To me, and you're right, Last year it was such a mess. There was a lot to try to clean up um, as far as what you're saying or try to do at the time to, to get with. This year sounded like these year-enders that I've heard of the past. Anything yeah. else stand out to you about what Chris said? Well, I, I think before we get to the defense, because you, you, know you know I will cash in on that one, but I, I think probably the most important thing that you tried to get from him uh, and he gave you some – you know, some answers, generic type answers, uh, which, which were true. Um, and, uh, you know, without a lot of real uh, in-depth factuals. And I think, you know, that line of questioning, which I get from everyone is, you know, what do we do with these key free agents that are out there? You know, how do we spend that $70 million, uh, You know, who's going to be back and so forth and so on. And I think the number one guy that people want to know about is uh, is Michael Pittman, and um, you know, so you know, my my opinion on Michael is, you know, I know how much you like him, I know how much the fans like him, okay? Right. And I yes. have to wear I have to wear I would say two hats here, okay? I will wear my fan slash coaching hat, and then I will yes. put on my general manager's hat because there's okay. a little bit of dichotomy in my thinking and a little bit of ambivalence, okay? First of all, in Michael's case, from a fan coaching standpoint, I love him. Absolutely love him. I mean, he does so many things that a great football player does. He's tough. He's physical. He will do the dirty work both on the running game. Uh, he will, he, you know, he'll battle for the football. Um, you know, anything that you ask him to do, he's going to do. Um, you know, because the way this team is structured – you know, he's a very high-volume catcher. Now, if you look at him and what he is and where he makes his living, it's really 
inside the numbers, okay? He's a numbers-to-numbers guy. He's a guy that needs help getting open. Uh, he doesn't. He's not a outside burner. He doesn't win one-on-ones on the outside. Uh, he's not real creative or twitchy with the ball in his hand. He's tough, but he's not really, really twitchy. And so I love him, like I said, and I think he's invaluable to this team. I think in a way it's cliche-ish. I think he is more valuable, and I may, I may end up being wrong. I hope not because it would be to our advantage. I, I think he's more valuable to this team because our lack of a receiver core than he is on the open market. Now, here's my reasoning for that. When you look at Michael, when I look at Michael as a GM, okay, or really even as an opponent, right, I look at him as a context player. Now, by that I mean he is really his – if you look at Michael's numbers – He's high volume. He's fifth in the league in catches, but he's 85th in yards per catch at about 10.5. Okay, now what that tells you, if you just go and, and this is the way he plays, is if you're averaging 10.5 a catch, that puts you, John, right in the middle of the tight ends and the slots. It doesn't yeah. put you close to C.D. Lamb or Hill or Diggs or Chase you know, or A.J. Brown. So, you know, when you go to pay a guy like that, you cannot pay him elite money. Like A.J.'s $25 million. Of course, Hill's off the charts at $30 million. But the top tight end in the league and the top slots are around $17 million. I think Hawkinson now, believe it or not, is the top tight end in the league. And this is the way Michael plays. Michael is tough inside, and Shane did a really good job of utilizing him. He used a lot of motion with him. He moves, He used a lot of motion across. And what he was doing is he's creating free access for Michael because Michael can't create it himself. And so the scheme creates it. I always say Michael is very good, but he's scheme dependent. And then, But you get him inside, he's going to catch the ball. He's going to battle for it. He's going to do all those things you want him to do. So, But in that terms, there is a context to his ceiling. And I, I don't buy anything about the quarterbacks. I, I've watched him since he was at Southern Cal. This is who he is. So – you know, in that sense, if he's a context player, what you would like to do is pay him in that context. Now, that may not be possible. You may have to go over that. But, you know, to me, the real the real pay scale would be more towards 17 than it is A.J. Brown at 25. But it's probably going to end up being somewhere in between. And I think it's going to come down to how valuable is he to us and is he more valuable that somebody's on the open market who is an elite outside guy? I think that Chris would love to have him back, but there is going to be a figure in which is going to be the level where they end up bowing out. The um, the franchise tag, I think what's the franchise tag is around, what, 20, 20 and a half, 21, something like that, I think is what it would be um, in that neighborhood. I could see them maybe utilizing that for the first time. But I think that there is going to be a level. How much of the market value you think is going to come in on Michael Pittman Jr.? Do you think he's going to get offered A.J. Brown type of money, Rick? 
I really don't, but it only takes one team out of 32 yeah. that has a big need. Uh, you know, somebody, you know, that really is a contender that has a really great number one that is looking for a good number two. They may be willing to stretch it. You know, like I said, there's there's always two values. There's what I think is your real value, and I, I pointed that out. I pointed out numerically that he ranks as – he would rank at the top of the league, you know, with tight end numbers and slot numbers, which is around 17. You know, it, but in reality, the, the market will dictate what his actual value – there's what I think is real value, and then there's the actual value. What is it really? And that's – as Chris Ballard said, that's based on the market. You know, a, a franchise at 20 – uh, you know, to me, is certainly not out of the reason because you're also, you know, you're not locking that into a long-term deal, and it would still allow you to maybe move up and get a real top-quality game-breaker, uh, you know, as a receiver to go with Michael, which which I think is necessary. So, again, there's what I consider the value based on his career and his physical skills and what he has and then there's the market value, and then you have to make that choice. The other guy I think is really important is Grover. Uh, I'm just telling you, we can't stop a nosebleed without Grover. So, you know, I think that's a guy that is will be a little bit forgotten in these discussions because he's not glamorous, but they can't they cannot stop a run without him. Well, Julian Blackman's not glamorous either, but I think we, we saw yeah, this past yeah. Saturday how much he was missed as well. How do you view him as well, absolutely have to coming like, back? I and also mention Kenny Moore, too. Yeah, and I really like Kenny. Kenny is a terrific guy at the nickel, at his, at his position. And, you know, because um, – you know, because I think our corners are still a little bit untested. I, I we'll get into scheme here in a minute because I don't know exactly where our corners is. I don't I don't think you can evaluate them in this scheme to be honest with you. But Kenny plays a vital role, and I don't think we want to get any any lower. You know, in terms of quality at corner, we want to, if anything, want to improve. So you really don't want to lose Kenny. You don't want to lose Grover. I I think Blackman is a terrific player. I mean, if, if you know, if I if I had my druthers, you know, I have all three of those guys on defense. Really vital right. players. The biggest trouble with uh, with uh, you know Blackman is the health situation, which has plagued him the whole time. But you know, again, you'd you'd like to have all three, and it will come down to you know what is that actual market value. Hey, Rick, do you think that Chris Ballard now recognizes, certainly with this, this sequel that performance-wise he's going through right now, this reboot of sorts, recognizes how much he needs to change in philosophy compared to what is necessary to win now in the NFL? I, You know, I, I don't think he's ever going to change, really. I mean, he really believes in, you know, winning from inside out, and he actually got a little bit more credibility with that this year because I, I thought Tony Sperano did a terrific job, just a terrific job with the offensive line. I mean, there was always talent there, uh, but it was underproducing. And, and I think between him and, and Shane, um, and Jim Bob, you know, the way they structured the offense, uh, I, I, I think they got those guys, and Tony really got them emotionally playing again. Uh, you know, obviously we suffered uh, when Braden Smith wasn't in there, but even at that he got some of those backups to hang in there. Uh, so, I mean, I think, I think it, it, there, there were some elements that you can credit with inside out. We have – 
uh, I think we have an excellent – first of all, I think we have really good talent on defense, period. I can get into every position if you want me to, but we have two inside players in uh, Grover and Buckner that will that will actually rank with any two inside players in the league. And then we have a busload of rushers. I mean, we got, you know, Ebu Khan was a, was a real surprise. I got to give Chris credit on that one. I saw him as a, you know, kind of a number two, and I think he's better than that. Uh, you know, uh, Dio is on it. Uh, Pay is going to be what Pay is, going to be a solid player. You know, and then Lewis, when he stays healthy, he's he's probably the most productive guy of all of them. Uh, but what I'm saying is, is I think that we're very, very talented on both fronts. Um, and I, I think the one area that we have to get a lot better, and I can I can get into why, you know, what we do on offense as well, what we don't do, and what we don't do on offense, what what really kills us at the end of the day, and. You know, Sunday or Saturday was a microchasm. Is we really don't throw the ball well enough. We run the ball. You know, we ran for what 228. John had a, John JT 188, but we yeah. threw for 135 and 5.3. Now, what I'm telling you on that is that statistic is good on time of possession, but it's not a formula for for scoring in the NFL. So, you know, we have to bring in a dynamic, game-changing receiver. Again, Pittman is solid possession. You know, I think Downs has a real upside as a slot, but we really need to get a guy that can change the game, play on the outside, win one-on-ones, create with the ball in hand. I mean, I think that is a, you know, that is a real issue with us. Um, you know, and it's it was specifically there, um, you know, in, in third down, you know, we were one for 12 in the game that matters. Um, you know, we're number 26th in the league. And then in the red zone, we were 0 for 3 in the game that matters. And we were 23rd, which is telling you in those critical situations when you need guys to get separation and you need pinpoint throwing and all that kind of stuff, we're not there yet on offense. So Rick Venturi joins us, as he always does, three times a year. And this is one of the better times at the end of the season, talking about what has transpired. I'm curious, Rick, what do you think the path is going to be? Because obviously we're in lockstep with what you said in mind as far as the wide receiver position. Is it, you know, trying to seek out a disgruntled diva-like wide receiver that always tends to, to come in handfuls this time of year? And once we get into the wintertime or – is it just looking into the draft and see if you can't do it that way? What what do you think the path should be for Chris Ballard to try to find what you and I both believe is thoroughly necessary with this team and its offense? Well, I, I don't I don't think you leave any door closed. I mean, I you know if you can get if AJ Brown wants to come here and play or Justin Jefferson, <laughs> you know, or Diggs or one of those guys, you know, I'm going to open the door for him to just understand. That's going to be a big money contract. So if you're going to sign Pittman for big money and him for big money, you know, that that's what you have to worry about. The ideal thing, you know, would be to get up in the draft and get a blue chip receiver on a rookie contract. You know, obviously it's not going to happen, but a perfect world would be would be junior, would be Harrison, and then you get him on a rookie contract, then you can pay Pittman for a year, uh, you know, and then you live happily ever after. But Again, you know, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, 
until you can have an explosive passing game and a, and a defense that isn't 28th in scoring every year, you're going to struggle. We rebooting these tight ends because um, you got we, – we've seen, I think, with, with Mo Alley-Cox, we've seen the, uh, the ceiling of it. Um, obviously, with Ogletree, <laughs> I mean, I, I can't imagine he's ever going to see a moment bad. here. And that's really um, too bad. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. he, um, he potentially was the best all-purpose guy. Ogletree was – by far the best all-purpose guy when it came to um, he was just sensational in the Pittsburgh game blocking um, when it came to blocking and then potential receiving um, he was one of one uh, the rest of them are all a little bit specialist well, um, you yeah, know, you and but, I talked about Jelani Woods I mean we no, thought I'm he was going to have this tremendous second year and I mean I, I had mentioned this I had heard that maybe he didn't have a great yeah. offseason, if you know what I mean, and didn't really work at it and came in, and that was a product of the double hammy situation. But, I mean, hell, that's something we thought you could count on after a rookie season that until you see it and you believe it longer term, you can't count on. No, you, you really can't. I mean, you you know, and I, unfortunately, I think the two guys that we, I thought anyway, had the biggest upside as a tandem, you know, was going to be Woods and Ogletree, um, you know, with Granson kind of being a hybrid type of guy and, and Mo Alley doing what he does. Uh, the, I mean, the guy that showed some, you know, some real receiving ability is Mallory, but I don't see him as the structural guy that, you know, can block the edge consistently and do things like that. So, you know, I'd say right now that's just, you know, I think it's a solid group. I don't think it's a liability, but, you know, it's, it's certainly not a game-changing group. So Rick Ventura, who joins us right now, too. So you think about that. Well, I'm sure we'll probably bring up offensive line a little bit more in just a second. Yeah. I do want to talk to you about how the season ended. But I, um, I gathered this today. I gathered that you know, really Monday, going back to Monday with Shane Steichen, uh, it seems like that they're very committed and continue to be with Gus Bradley in this defense. In your opinion, should they be? Well, to me, that's, that's amazing at first, at first glance to make that commitment so quick. I mean, you know, to me, you know, as I said, you know, we won, you know, and I think really we won because, A, you know, we had a, you know, an offensive line that had an outstanding year. We had tremendous running, including Moss. Uh, I think Minshew played probably a little bit better than people think he did. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, you know, he ha- he's the number 13. He has the 13th best QBR in the league. He made a lot of plays on his feet. Um, you know, I-, I think he was a better option than we ever dreamed of. Uh, you know, in certain games, obviously, we have the 50 sacks, so we have talent there. But really and truly, I mean, I, I think we have a serious scheme issue. Now, how you want to handle it, you know, that's up to them. I mean, I, it's, it's not my choice, but I think we have a serious scheme problem. I think we have excellent talent on defense as i said our front guys we have outstanding two interior guys we got a bucket full of sack guys on the edge we have two young linebackers that are terrific has terrific futures you know in speed and franklin i think they're over 230 tackles between them and speed only played half the season really but both those guys have it all really at the stack kenny's outstanding nickel 
you know, if Blackman is still here and Cross, they're two of the most talented, physical, and I'm there every day. I see every one-on-one drill, and I think our corners, our young corners, are much better than advertised. I'm not buying for one second this narrative that we have to play this style because of young corners and that kind of stuff because, you know, uh, I, I think two things. I think, number one, if you're playing the Dallas Texans and they have one receiver, one, and they don't really even have a good running game, I can take that wide receiver away with four Clydesdales back there. Now, trust me, there is no excuse for letting that guy go off nine for nine for 195. And if you put two games together, you know, it's 16 for 346. Do you realize that that Collins actually had 30% of his yardage in two games against the Colts? That's out of 17. He had 30% in two games. And, you know, week after week, we make kings out of quarterbacks. It's not just Stafford or Lawrence or certainly the young kid last week, Stroud, who's going to be a superstar. But no, no, no. It's P.J. Walker. You know, it's, it's Heineke. Uh, it's Browning. I mean, O'Connell looked like Unitas. So, you know, you, you've got to answer the question. To me, if you're going to hold players accountable, then you also have to hold scheme and coaches accountable. And, and I'll tell you what, this is a what I call a generic, uh, predictable scheme that is non-challenging. It doesn't challenge receivers on the outside. It doesn't challenge receivers on the inside. Uh, they're 79% generic zone, and by that I mean there's two different kinds of zones. There's generic area zone, which we play, and there's matchup zone, which denies receiver within your zone, kind of like basketball, where you're mirroring up guys even though you're in zone and you're not letting those uncontested plays go. Then we're either playing a three or a soft four palms on the outside. Our young kids who are really good press corners, they don't have a chance. I mean, they really don't have a chance. I mean, and I would argue that the first play, the 75-yard touchdown, which to me was inexcusable, you know, string. and they can say, well, Cross didn't do that. Well, that's your fault, too. At the end of the day, you strung out a 4-5-3 corner on a 4-4 wide out with a, and against a quarterback with a good arm, and all of a sudden that get, that seven points there was bigger than that fourth and one. We all want to talk about that fourth and one. That seven-point spot is what put us behind the eight ball, gave them the momentum. It was an uphill fight all the way up, and we never actually got there. And then when we had to stop them in the fourth quarter, they overcame a second and 20, a first and 20, and a second and 14. So, you know, and I've just seen it. I've seen it for two years. You know, we can say, well, you know, he had these corners. We had this. Let me tell you, we had last year experienced corner. We had one of the elite corners in the National Football League, and we played exactly the same. 28th last year in points given up, 28th in points given up this year. So, to me, you address it one of two ways. You either demand a philosophical change from top to bottom, or you change the guy who's making the decision. It's not my decision to make. I'm not going to sit here and say, you do this or you do that. But I'm really disappointed that, you know, we're not held more accountable there. Well, and I'm curious, too, because you bring up how much you like what they have 
as far as personnel is concerned defensively. Including the corners. Including and, the corners. Yeah. And, and they have been so quick to, again, and unless there is a, a drastic 180 we're going to see. I mean, today Chris basically said, yeah, he's going to be back. Why do you think they have so quickly decided that Gus is the guy for this group moving forward, despite what you just said? You know what? I, I'm not sure. I guess there must be some relationship there. You know, I know I do. I do know this is that a head coach can have all the talent, the creativity, the intelligence, the motivation, but they're always the best guys I've been with. Always have to have a little bit of ruthlessness to them, and you know you got to always put all anything personal behind you and make tough decisions. Now. You know, maybe they think that they can make and they can mandate a – this is my only thought, that because if you can't see it, then, you know, I don't know what you're looking for. And and you've you've got history. They talk about continuity. Let me tell you something about continuity, okay? All right, continuity is great if Bill Walsh is your offensive coordinator and Buddy Ryan's your defensive coordinator. Let me talk to you about six AFC playoff teams out of seven. First of all, Buffalo. Right in midseason, he takes over the defense and calls the defense and changes the offensive coordinator in midseason. And what did they do? They took off. Baltimore brings in Munkin in the offseason. What happens? He has such an impact as an offensive coordinator that Lamar is playing great. Houston. A whole change, everything. And you think that Slowick didn't have a great, the offensive coordinator didn't have a big impact on the quarterback? Cleveland. Cleveland brings in Jimmy Swartz to compliment them and to put in that defense. They rank number one today. Vic Fangio, Miami. You go to Pittsburgh. Mike fired the offensive coordinator in like the 13th week of the season, and they're 10-7 and in the playoffs. So, you know, I I don't know what the vote (laughs) – I don't know what the vote for continuity ever really means. So Rick Venturi, who joins us, I'm curious, just we'll put a little bow on what you're talking about with the defense. What do you think is the best way, considering – the personnel that, that we know right now and what you think is going to be a part of this equation coming up next year, what, what is the, the best way to maximize defensively what they have in the style in which they play? Well, first of all, you're going to have to make him do something he's never do. This has been the style that he's coached his whole life. This is what he knows. This is what he coaches. And it's been there on display forever and ever. What the Colts need to do, they need to be a much more challenging coverage team and a much more coverage blitz team. They are 79% zone, which is number one. That's the highest percentage of zone. And it's not a matchup zone. Okay, they're 14% in blitzes, which is last in the league. So there's not pressure and there's not contested passes. So in order to contest passes, you have to go from an area code, every area zone team underneath to a hard match team. You've got to play more man-to-man combinations where you press 
and you have to get specific game plans for receivers. Every receiver that's come in here for two years has had a career day. I mean, if you're going to play – if you're, if you're going to play Collins and he's the only guy, you're going to roll up on him or you're going to man and double him every single down. And if he doesn't get 195 yards, how do they beat you? You know, but, I mean, again, it's it's a contested scheme, both often, both in the front. We, we play that over defense 90% of the time. We finally got into a little bit of bear late, which everybody else is doing. But we're a predictable front every down. Again, 14% pressure and non-contested coverages. So, I mean, if you ask me the answer, you change all that. You have to change all that if you're going to be better and if you're going to be a championship defense. So, Rick Venturi, who joins us three times a year, uh, most important time, I think, of the year, is uh, looking at the season past and looking at the season future we have not discussed yet Shane Steichen and you and I talk we talk every week on the Colts pregame huddle as a group but I'm curious your thoughts on Shane Steichen and as a rookie head coach how well do you believe the season went for him Oh, I think he had a, a terrific year. I, I think he uh, proved to everyone that he was the right choice. I mean, I think Ballard got two things right, and they're the two most important things for a GM. He got the head coach right, and he got the quarterback right. Now, there's a lot of development in between there, but Shane brought several things. Uh, number one, he brought creativity. Uh, he brought cutting-edge football. Um, you know, I think there's no question about player utilization. As the season went on, it got better and better. I mean, the way he used Pittman, the way he used JT late in the season was terrific. Um, he brought in uh, a, a motivation, good staff, uh, bringing in Sperano. I mean, there's no question the impact on the offensive line. I think for the most part, he brought in accountability, and he did it. Like, I like it. He didn't do it with a press conference. He didn't do it, you know, with a lot of loud noises. If a guy just didn't produce, he was either gone or he didn't hit the field. And that's the way it has to be. And I think he's brought all these qualities. Uh, I think there's no question that he is really responsible for this turnaround. I mean, we were a joke in January of last year, and we could have been a contender. It just kills me inside. We were that close, you know, and probably if we hit the fourth and one, we still, this narrative wouldn't even be what it is. But um, I have just tremendous hopes for him. I thought he got better as a clock and game manager. I think that's the area that when you're, it's, it's not just that you're a first-time head coach. It's when you're also the offensive coordinator, which means you have a thought pattern. You, you have a lot of minutia that you're thinking about during the game. And so, you know, but I thought he got better as the season went off. And, you know, he's probably going to be wise to have somebody who really is nothing but his game manager in terms of advisor during the game. But I can't say enough about him. I, I was for that hire. I thought that hire for – Many reasons, primarily because I thought he, you know, we were going to draft a quarterback, and he gave us total uh, total flexibility, um, and you know, and, and you showed it. I mean, he got he got tremendous mileage. Uh, Richardson was ahead of schedule when he got hurt. He got Minshew to play terrific during the season, or certainly he maxed this team out offensively. So you know, again, I I really can't say uh, enough about his first year. Really quick before I let you go, and I, I know we got to hit a bottom of the hour break here, but um, I want to go back to that fourth down call. I know 
Yeah. I mean, it, it was set to work. All right. It was the right yeah. call to make. I, I had said this all week, and I know you heard this as well. Why, why would you not? You can say this from a coaching standpoint. I, the one thing I would have changed and I thought was an error that was made was not having 28 out there in some capacity. You always say it. He's a threat wherever he is, and he's yep. what the defense has to think about, regardless if he's going to get the ball. Was that an error in judgment not having him out there in some form or fashion? Yeah, I think, first of all, I, I think I really thought that the Colts, their operation was great. They came up on fourth and one. Basically, the Texans, because they were in the red zone, they got into that. They showed that bear defense, but it was even heavier than a bear. They had their free safety walks right up on the edge with the linebackers. So it wasn't just a 5-2. It was a 5-4. We were in a one-back offense with JT, which that in itself I don't like, but we're there. That's who we are, which means you're either going to run a zone, basically, or you're going to run a trap, a running play. And I think I'm pretty sure that he had a running play call because Gardner looked it over and didn't like it. Now, we had three timeouts, which was good, so he took the timeout. He didn't like the look for the play. So he comes over to Shane. Shane says, okay, that's what they're going to play, but that also tells us they're straight man-to-man coverage. No help, straight man-to-man coverage. So we're going to do this. We're not going to force it into the wall of China. We're going to run a rub swing, which everybody does. We've done it successfully over the years. And, you know, and the, the play was there. It was man coverage. Pittman rubbed the linebacker. He was trying to get over the top. Wasn't even close. It's right there. It's a touchdown or a first down, and we don't execute it. And, you know, in, in a sense, Gardner, that, you know, he, he, he really needs to throw that ball at eye level in front. But the running back's got to turn around and make the catch. I mean, what you just got to turn around and make the catch in that situation. Come on. But my criticism, my only criticism, is I thought strategically the very best thing. I do not, I do not second guess the call, but I do believe I do go back to my buddy Tom Moore. You know, in crunch time, think players, not plays. The only difference is that would have been John JT at the receiving end of it, and somehow, and you know, I may just be guessing. I think JT would have come up with it. Yeah, I, I just think about any in any capacity. That's what I said. Yeah. Well, the other I mean, thing, you just, although you, it didn't you have matter, to t- you have to you have to make sure that you're prepared because he's out there, and you don't if he's standing on the sideline. That's right, and 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 immediately when you put the other guy in, they know it's pass. Although it really didn't matter because even though they knew it was pass, they still didn't cover it. I mean, it was wide open. There was no there's no yeah. question about it. I mean, we spotted him seven on the first play, and we didn't execute a fourth and one. You know, and that that's really the beginning and end of the game. Rick Venturi, so um, next time after the draft, is that when we, we shall meet again on the radio? Either, yeah, I, don't, I forget whether we do it after or, be, or before. I'm a little bit yeah. lost right now. You know, I, I, I work at it, work at it, and every morning get up really early and do about four hours of tape work or write-ups. And all of a sudden I look out there and I'm like, you know, what are we doing tomorrow? And I'm, I'm, I always give myself a couple weeks before I really start pounding on the draft. So, you know, I guess, I guess it we'll just get enjoy life and you know hopefully i can get miss sherry to get moving and we get down to florida here soon well 
uh, myself and I know our listeners absolutely love having you on, and we do it three times a year. We both understand that it should be much more than that, and we would love it to be much more than that. But I thank you for allowing us for the three times a year because it's absolutely outstanding. I love just kind of sitting back and listening, man. <laughs> I really do. And I know I know that everybody listens to the show does too. Thanks for everything that you do. Uh, most importantly, thank you for educating me and being my friend, man. I've always I've always embraced that more than you know and as usual i appreciate your time here today well john i feel the same way about you i I really i wouldn't come on except nobody does it better you are my good friend and thank you for having me on today thank you rick i appreciate you Uh uh-huh so rick venturi right there